Sex desire is the most powerful of human desires. When driven by this desire, men develop keenness of imagination, courage, willpower, persistence, and creative ability unknown to them at other times. So strong and impelling is the desire for sexual contact that men freely run the risk of life and reputation to indulge in. When harnessed and redirected along other lines, this motivating force maintains all of its attributes of keenness of imagination, courage, etc., which may be used as powerful creative forces in literature, art, or in any other profession or calling, including, of course, the accumulation of riches. Napoleon Hill. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am here with the most amazing guest. You're going to love the brilliant Sam Silverstein. I first met Sam at the Bad Girls on Business podcast, where I absolutely fell in love. And he got me hot and bothered, and I knew that he absolutely had to be on the show with you guys because he's talking about my favorite topic. Of course, that's business and how to get it up and keep it up. So welcome, Sam. How are you doing? Hey, Michelle, I'm great. It's always fun to be with, together and be with you. Nice. I'm glad you think so. So give our peeps a 5,000-foot view of who you are, what you do, that kind of fun. Start. Well, I'm an author, speaker, and coach consultant. So I work with organizations, help them build workplace culture that inspires people to choose to be accountable. And my background's in manufacturing, sales, distribution. And then I started writing books. And 11 books later, I'm sitting here with you having a fun time helping people in business build a more sustainable organization so they can achieve what it is they're trying to achieve. Nice. And what I absolutely love and adore about your approach is that it's kind of a holistic approach in the, in the business, starting at culture which to me is paramount. I heard the best quote today, culture Trump strategy any day of the week. And I wholeheartedly agree. So let's start at the top and work our way down just because, you know, that's fun. So talk to me about culture and why you think that's an important stepping stone in, in improving a business or growing it. Well, culture is what's accepted and what's repeated. So all organizations have a culture, whether you realize it, whether you focused on it, whether you thought about it, doesn't matter your organization has a culture. And there's two types of culture. There's a culture by design and there's a culture by default. And a culture by design is one where a leader has taken the time to define exactly what they want that workplace culture to be, the experience that their employees have. And because of that experience, the experience that their clients and customers have. After they defined it, they've They've modeled it, they've taught it, they've protected it, and they've celebrated it. That's culture by design. Culture by default, none of that's gone on. And so what happens is people are just allowed to do what they want to do. It's like the Wild West. People can act how they want to act, treat people how they want to treat people, do what they want to do. And in situations like that, usually uh, you're not getting exactly what you want. Wholeheartedly agree. And what would you say in your experience causes culture by default. What's somebody thinking that, that that's not even in consideration? So what happens a lot of times is leaders are so busy focused on the tactics of the business, 
um, how they manufacture it, how they distribute it, how they handle the billing, uh, their, their computer system, their ordering system, their fulfilling system, all this tactical stuff. And they really, they just haven't realized that what happens is it's the spirit of the organization, it's the workplace culture that actually will help you maximize the tactical side of the business. If you just focus on the tactics, you'll have good tactics and you'll probably make some money. If you focus on the spirit of the business, which is really the culture, the relationships in the business, and you nail that, then not only will you have that in place, but because of that, your people will work harder. They'll work closer. They'll communicate with each other better. You'll have better team work. And then what happens is the actual tactical side and the productivity of the business will go up. So a lot of leaders, they just, you know, small business people, they get so many hats on their head and they're so involved working in the business. They don't take the time to work on the business. And what they don't realize is this is possibly the most critical part of your organization. If you nail the culture, you can scale your business faster. You can attract the best people. You retain the best people. Your turnover goes down. In markets where unemployment is incredibly low, I hear leaders all the time say, I can't find enough good people. Well, the reason you can't find enough good people is, I'm sorry, but you haven't built a company that's 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 good enough to attract those people because we see it all the time in, in, in marketplaces where there's zero unemployment yet. 40, 50, 60 people apply for job openings. Why? Because it's a destination employer. People want to work there. And when you create that kind of an organization, not only do people want to work there, they want to stay there. They want to work together. They want to be successful. It's all about high performance at the end of the day. Nice. So let's talk about the inevitable because it always comes up in my conversations. Um, the size Sex. matter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So when it comes to the size of a, of a company, a lot of people will say, oh, it's easy to have, you know. You almost slipped there. <laughs> I get a I'm lot just of saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> but go on. Size of a company. That if it's a smaller company, that it's easy to keep your finger on the pulse, so to speak, of the culture. But when it gets to be a bigger organization, you have HR hiring for you. You got You want um, managers taking charge of their own teams. How do you control it when it's a little bigger than you know how to play with? <laughs> the same way when it was a small organization, the leader has to own the culture. The leader has to set priority to it. And so with, yeah, is it easier to establish change, redirect culture when you're three people, five, seven, 10, 15? You bet it is. But I don't care if you're six, seven, 800 people or more. Um, and we work with organizations with 16,000 people and more, and they're able to do it. It just takes more time. That's all. But what happens is when the leader prioritizes the culture, th then they always stay engaged in the culture. Culture is not policy. Culture is all about people and relationships. And a leader that gets that and wants to have great relationships with their people will work towards this and build their culture. A leader that really doesn't care about the relationships with their people, probably not going to be the best leader. People aren't going to want to stay in that environment and that culture is going to, going to be a mess. And so, yes, what happens when, when the company grows? You just have to work a little bit harder at it. Uh, you know, I wrote a book several years ago about a, a bank in Amarillo, Texas, um, the leader twice a month has every new hire come into his office and he spends 90 minutes 
talking about the values of the organization, which those values are what define their culture. Now, there is probably some of the offices now, they're spread all over the state of Texas. Now, you know Texas is huge. There are some offices that are four or five, six, seven hours drive away. Doesn't matter. He makes it a priority twice a month to visit with everyone that's a new hire because he says they don't come to work for the bank. They come to work for me. It's a personal relationship. And then there's leaders that say, well, I don't have time for that. Well, that's fine. You don't have time to build those relationships and you don't have time to build a kind of organization that attracts 40, 50, 60 people in a market with zero unemployment when you're looking for great people. That's the bottom line. So you can either make excuses or you can make a great culture. Absolutely. We'll be talking about these guys more, but I want to back up the bus just a little bit because I think people get confused as to what is the difference between culture and company policy? Oh, man, you always know how to get right to that spot, <laughs> don't you? It's such a great question. Um, and so, okay, let's look at policy and values. Policy is about things. Values are around people. There's, if you have a great set of values in its entirety, it must be four set areas. <laughs> I want to hear about it. Um, so those four areas are foundational values, which talk about the character of the organization, professional values, which talk about what excellence is here, relational values, which say how we're going to get along, how we're going to connect both internally and externally, and community values, how we're going to connect to and support the community that we're in. Policy, on the other hand, deals with yeah, how many days vacation do you get? How many days personal leave do you get? Uh, when do you vest in the uh, in 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 the four hundred one k plan or you know that kind of mundane stuff? So we were helping an organization create their set of values, which we do this all the time with organizations. They had a set, but they wanted to start from scratch. We did that um, little ways into the project. The CEO of the organization said we value community service. I said, really? He says, yeah, it's so important here. We have in the policy manual, you can take two days of uh, complete pay and while you're performing community service. Wonderful. How many days of, of community service did you have on the books this past year as an organization? This organization at that time had about 350 employees. He looked at the individual who was in charge of this. She looked back at him and she said, zero. I said, the reason you had zero days community service as an organization is because it's a policy, it's not a value. If it's a value, it has to show up. If it's not showing up, it's not a value. I said, let's write a value that, that talks to this and let's step it out, meaning let's make it live, let's live it. And so we did it that, that very day, we built a value around community service. And within just a few weeks, I started getting email after email after email of links to articles and TV clippings and videos of where their people had gone out in the community and they were making a difference, making an impact in community service because it went from being a policy to being a value. If a value is not showing up, it's not your value. Nice, I love that. There was, you have a fantastic Cinderella story of, of your bank in, in Texas. So tell us a bit more about that and what the impact was. Um, kind of where were they before and, and what was the transition that they made? 
Well, this is a bank that 31 years ago had one location and $10 million in assets. And a gentleman by the name of J. Pat Hickman put together an ownership group and bought that bank with one location and 10 million assets and built the bank around a set of values. And the values were all around people. And those people lived the values to the level of non-negotiable. And those values did talk about what their character was and how they would communicate, and what excellence was and how they would participate in the community. And 31 years later, this bank has over 63 locations and over 6 billion in assets. They have built this bank based on their culture. Their culture has impacted their employees. Their culture has impacted the community. I've, I've heard spouses of employees say, I've heard wives say, my husband is a better husband and a better father for having worked here. This has impact and influence that this le leader has had. And this bank has had supernatural performance, meaning they've outperformed what any normal bank did during that time. You can make money do doing it poorly, but when you do it amazingly well, then you have the opportunity to have amazing bottom line results. And their bottom line results far stripped what they even imagined was possible. Nice, I love that. We also had a chance to talk backstage a little bit about the difference between responsibility and accountability. So talk to me about the difference because I think a lot of people are very confused as to the difference between leadership's responsibilities and accountability. Well, I gotta tell you, Michelle, one of the biggest problems when it comes to accountability is that everything we've been told about it is wrong. Accountability is, is not a way of doing accountability is a way of thinking and specifically it's how we think about our people. So what I've discovered is people think it's about, you know, they say, well, I'm accountable to get that report done. I'm accountable to uh, get the, the, the project in on time. I'm accountable to get the sales proposal out. No, those are things you're responsible for. Accountability is keeping your commitments to people, but those commitments are relational commitments. The tactics of what we need to do in business our responsibilities. We're responsible for things, but we're accountable to people. And once we separate those two and gain that understanding, we can react in a different way. Personally, you know, I don't know why you would let someone stay in your organization that wasn't doing what their responsibility was to do. Why would you let an employee stay? And the only reason I've ever heard was, well, unemployment is so low, I can't find good people. But we've already touched on that. So when you understand that accountability is between people and it's the relational commitments, a commitment to live the values, a commitment to stand by you when all hell breaks loose, a commitment to it's all of us, which says, if you fail, I fail. And only when you succeed, do I succeed. Those types of commitments build bonds between people and, and challenge people. They, they, they actually want to be accountable. They want to work at a higher level. Nice. So what are some things that a leader can do to start implementing these if if they're like, I I hear what you're saying, I get it, I know it's important, but I just don't know how to do what I don't know how to do. Okay, great question. And so the starting point is the leader needs to, first of all, the leader needs to say to themselves, I'm committed to my people first. And if I commit to them and help them be successful, I believe they will help the organization be successful. 
that's the first step. And if a leader's not willing to do that, then, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, crack your whip, be demanding, be a jerk to work for, chase people off. That's fine. Make a little money, make a lot of money. Great. Now, if you want to believe that you, that as a leader, the success of your people is what's important and you commit to them, then it's going to change how you see everything and it's going to change how they act. Once you do that, I would say, let's look at a great set of values, not great values, a great set of values, a set of values that connects to all four of those areas and not just words, meaning it's not enough just to have a list of five or six words. What do those words mean? We need a narrative. We need three or four sentences that actually explain in detail what those words mean, because then your people will learn how to step it out. Let's establish those values in your team and let those values work to attract the best people, help you retain the best people. When someone's not living those values, we're gonna let them go someplace where they'll be appreciated. We're gonna hire to the values and we're gonna create a, a work environment where people love to get along, love to work hard, love to achieve at a high level. And, and I'm, that's where I'm gonna start. We're gonna start with those values. Nice, I love that. Do you think it's important that every company has a great set of values? So uh, give me a little bit of what are you working on right now? What are your kind of special projects that you got going on? Oh, well, there's always something interesting going on around here. Um, we, we've got a book at the publisher that will be out shortly, a new book, um, and starting to write another book. But then we're also, we're also launching our certification program where we're actually taking executive coaches and consultants and we're certifying them to be certified accountability advisors so they can take um, everything, all our tools, resources, our workplace cultural assessment, and all those tools and help organizations implement what it is that we've been helping organizations implement for almost 30 years now. Nice. I love that. And when somebody's starting out, I know that that would be a wicked career because one, they get to be mentored by you, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, so yeah, as a, as a, as an executive coach to be able to have somebody like you to go, Hey, how do I do that? That would have been epic. Um, so yeah, a huge opportunity for people to, to have the breadth and width of your experience and, and like just everything you bring to the table would be epic and awesome. So when you're working with, let's go through your, um, how, how do people actually start working with their clients? So is it like they start with a, a four-week contract? Do they go to a six-month and so on? Or what's the, what's the actual tactics of having Well, our certification program is a five-month certification for level one. And level two comes beyond behind that. And then we work with the executive coaches and consultants to, to help them understand how to best work with their clients. And those clients... Those engagements could simply be a half-day starter engagement where, where, they, where they're teaching some of the fundamentals of accountability, helping the uh, leaders in an organization adapt these skills and bring them on for themselves. Or it could be a year-long engagement where they start off with an organization doing the cultural assessment, actually measuring the culture where accountability is high, where it's low. And then stepping out a monthly development program for the employees of the organization. Then at the end of the year, circling back, doing the assessment again so we can measure the results that we've had on the culture during that time period. There's, there's so many different educational modules that they can bring in for that organization to help them develop their leaders, 
understand accountability, implement it. Um, if they need help developing their, their values, we have an entire process to step out developing those organizational values. So we want, we want our executive coaches and consultants to be positioned to help their clients be the most successful out there. And that just makes everyone look good. Nice. I love that. So clearly scale, scalability is built into the system because you're looking at how do you create an awesome enterprise and not just, hey, this is my company, this is my business. It's people leave their family at one house and they go to their family during the day and then they come back to the family at, at home. Exactly. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that if we can help leaders develop to be better leaders, they can help their people develop to be better people. You can't give what you don't have. And organizational transformation always goes through leadership transformation. Leaders got to transform first. And when the leader transforms, then they're positioned to transform their people. The leaders that invest in themselves and with the intent of being better so that they can invest in their people and help their people be better, then what happens is they build a better organization. The tactics of how to sell, manufacture, do, uh, do the audit, whatever it is that you're doing for a client, all those tactics, they're abundant. You can go on the internet, you can find them. You want to get into chair manufacturing, you can find out how to manufacture a chair. I guarantee there's probably 50 videos on YouTube, if not 50,000 videos about any topic that you want to learn about. But when you grow as an individual and with the dedication of helping your people grow to be the best they can be, then what happens is the tactics will take off and your organization will perform in a realm of, of achievement that you really never even imagined you could, you could get to. Nice. I love that. And I know that it's, for some people, it can be super scary. For some people, it's full arms embraced. Yes, absolutely. How do I take this on? And I think that really, I heard it once being said, willingness is the key. Even though it terrifies you and scares the daylights out of you, it's just that willingness to be able to take that first step to, you'll figure it out after that. Absolutely. It, you know, it's, it's not, none of this is that difficult. It, it takes commitment and consistency. And that's part of what we help. We help our clients do. We help our certified accountability advisors do. We want them to have that commitment and consistency because that's where you get those superior results. Nice. And would you say that leadership is becoming easier in the <laughs> online digital world, which clearly everybody is now forced online? <laughs> or, or Well, you know, leadership, I don't think the principles of leadership have changed one bit. Leadership is about the success and the safety and the success of the people that we lead. And the, the challenge comes in is obviously things that we're facing. So where you have people working from home and, and you need to be able to still communicate with them and build relationships. It's different than if everyone can huddle around the water cooler. And, but it just means that leadership has to apply themselves and figure out, okay, how do I build these relationships? How do I maintain these relationships? How do I help my people be successful? The questions are the same. The answers are a little bit different. And sometimes we have to get creative. Sometimes we have to invest our resources in a, in a different manner, but we're still going for the same objectives. Nice. I love that. And one kind of interesting question that I had once upon a time was if I empower all my people, they're just going to leave and go and 
work somewhere else. <laughs> that, that's kind of really twisted. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, I, why do I, well, first of all, I don't buy that. I, <laughs> I think that's a bunch of baloney. Um, unless you're training your people to be really good, but you're not treating them really well. Are you treating your people well? Are they, are you, there's 10 relational commitments. Michelle, we can't go into them today, but there's 10 relational commitments that build accountability. And when you're employing these 10 relational commitments and building these types of relationships with your people, why would they leave you? Well, the only reason they leave is because maybe they're making a career change. Um, they leave because uh, none of their family lives in your community. Their family lives back east or out west or whatever, and they want to move to be closer to the family. But they're not going to leave an organization where they love the people and where they're being taken care of and where you're helping them grow. Why would I leave a, a, a mentor, a leader that, that's helping me grow? Now, what happens is this ends up putting pressure on the leader to create growth opportunities for those individuals. And you know what that means? That's growth opportunities for the organization. And so maybe it means opening another branch. Maybe it means opening another location. Maybe it means taking on a new product line. Maybe it means expanding your sales efforts. And all these things are positive for your organization. Grow your people to, and force yourself to grow your organization. Who can complain about that? But yeah, you also have to recognize, are you dealing with starter positions? Because working behind the counter um, at a fast food restaurant is not a career destination. It's a starter position. But if you're developing those people and you're treating them right and they're doing stellar work, when they move on, they're going to recommend to people, well, you need to go work here because they'll train you. They'll teach you. They'll help you be the best you can be. I don't want inferior people working for me. I don't want inferior people staying and hanging around my organization because it's going to be an inferior organization. Good point. Awesome. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, they're like, oh my God, I love you. Uh, how do I get you to assess our company and see whether or not we're a good fit for you? If they want you personally, more of you, how do they Great. Um, there's several things they can do. One, if they just want a free personal accountability assessment, go to amiaccountable.com. Amiaccountable.com. It'll take you two minutes. You'll get a little personal accountability assessment and it'll, it'll give you something to think about. And if you want to talk to me with regards to helping your, your organization or about our certified accountability advisor program, simply send an email to info at samsilverstein.com. Nice. And if you're driving right now, peeps, of course, you can go back to the details of the podcast and we will have all of those links in there for you. Awesome. So I do have to ask you one last question before I give you your last word in there is at what point did you know that you're a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Um, I grew up in a family. I grew up in a family where my parents started a business. They were entrepreneurs. And so I saw this in action. And very early on, I just felt that that anything was possible. And I, I was just blessed that my parents always encouraged me. So I, I actually worked with them. And then, then I went into business with, with my in-laws. Um, so, you know, I'm really crazy. I went from one family business to another family <laughs> business. And then, then I launched my own at that point. So there was really no, there was never a doubt that, that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Um, I, I think for me, 
And I think this is important for everyone. For me, the biggest challenge was taking the time to determine what my purpose was and my mission so that I could build a business around that. And that's something that, that we help people do. Figure out your values, your purpose, your mission, and then build a business around that. A business is scalable. A business is successful. A business that allows you to have the kind of life that you're supposed to have. Nice. I love that. No truer words have ever been spoken in the entrepreneurial world when it comes to success. Awesome. So I still am going to give you one last opportunity. Do you have any last words for our peeps? Yeah, this is, you know, being in business is an awesome responsibility because you have people that are dependent upon you, not just your customers, but obviously your team. And when you as a leader make an investment in your team, helping them be the best they can be, you're going to build a great organization and you're going to find a tremendous amount of reward that comes back from that. Double down on your team. They will double down on you. Nice. Love it. Thank you, Sam Silverstein, for being here with us today on The Little Blue Pill for Business. This is your host, Michelle Nedelak. Thank you for being here with us today. If you have any questions, comments, or guests that you'd like to see on the show, please send them to me. I would love to hear from you, either at Michelle at the Little Blue Pill for Business.com or Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you can find me. I'm happy to have you following. Thank you for listening to the Little Blue Pill for Business podcast with your mistress in business, Michelle Nedelec. Why are you still here? Go to littlebluepillforbusiness.com and get your goodies. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to share it with somebody else that you know would enjoy getting it up in business after you subscribe to the podcast, of course, so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, check the notes for links. Oh, and only tell your wife if she's into this, you know, entrepreneurship. And I'll see you both on the other side.